0: Destiny. Go on, put it there. Go on, it <laughs>
1: Tone Benders, the Sound Designers Podcast.
2: Let's do this. Hey, everybody! Welcome to Tone Benders. My name is Tim, and I will be your host for today. Sitting in with me is Teresa Morrow. Teresa, how are you? Doing good, Tim. Excellent. We also have Renee, who's having some internet connection problems. Renee, can you hear me? You, you ain't got to put that in the intro. <laughs> <laughs> We got to put it in the intro. This is real life. We have an awesome episode for everybody today. We're going to do a big round table talk on doing sound design for boxing and MMA films. These are super interesting films that have lots of different elements going on in them sonically. We've got the crowd noise, the boxers' grunts, punches, impacts, Foley, the ropes. It's going to be fun talk and we have some excellent excellent guests joining us today. First up, we have Aaron Glasscock who works in LA as a supervising sound editor and re-recording mix at warner brothers post facility he was nominated for a sound editing oscar for birdman and has notable films like the town and barb and star go to vista del mar on his credits no talk about boxing would be complete without some form of rocky dna and aaron worked on the rocky spinoff creed 2 welcome to the show aaron thanks for joining us thank you good to be here We also have Jay Peck joining us. Jay is an in-demand Foley artist working out of New York State with over 390 credits on his IMDb. Jay clearly never takes a day off. (laughs) From Oh Brother Where Out Thou to Uncut Gems, Jay has done Foley for just about every kind of genre and style, including the upcoming Foley for the fight film Bruised. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Tim. Gene Park is also joining us today from New York City. He is a busy re-recording mixer and supervising sound editor. Some of his recent projects include Midsommar, The Farewell, and the new MMA film Bruised, starring and directed by Holly Berry on Netflix. Welcome to the show, Gene. It's great to have you. Hey, Tim. Thanks for having me. And we also have Olivia Jean, who's worked as a dialogue editor, sound effects editor, supervising sound editor on a vast array of projects, including John Wick 3, The X-Files, and she was the sound designer on One Night in Miami, the new film about a young Cassius Clay as he becomes Muhammad Ali. Welcome to the show, Olivia. Thank you. Awesome. So one thing that you all worked on is boxing films. What is your favorite aspect of working on a boxing film, Olivia?
0: I think it's really about identifying those hero punch moments in a fight and then build around it. As a person, I'm not really a MIA fan, but working in the action scene, I think it's really interesting to find how do we use action to build a personality of the fighters, which I'm sure Aaron and Jean has a lot to say. You know, different fighters have their different style and how do we build to show, okay, this person has this style and it suggests that he's this kind of person. And, you know, how do we build punches to show who is the hero and who is the foe? So I find that it's quite interesting that there is always a storytelling perspective in building actions in sound design.
3: Yes, I, I I would agree, and you know, going into the project that I did Creed two, I had never done a boxing movie before, so I had looked at it like, wow, how am I going to do this? You know, what what is it going to bring? And then I realized, well, there's so much DNA to this too. I can't detach myself from any of that. In fact, I have to put that into it if I can, because people will have expectations, and then of course every director is going to tell you what the rules are, or what is important to them, or what needs to be established or discovered. And I think with that, the discovery part is probably my number one challenge on any movie is to discover what is the thing that I'm doing here because so much of what we do is this kind of utilitarian function. It's like, okay, we're gonna make sure that this sounds right and nobody falls off the rails here but at the same time I'm gonna discover some plane, some dimension that is beyond anything that has been described to me before or I've read about or that is on the page. So you kind of have to go into it and just kind of know the rules but then shed all the rules because what you discover is going to become the most important thing to you in your job. Where are the weeds? I'm gonna take you there. This is my journey.
2: So what's your favorite part of working on the boxing genre, Gene? Uh, I think my answer might be similar to Aaron's,
4: like in the sense that I never worked per se on a fight film before. One thing for me, I was definitely very excited to work on it. And in terms of exploring what direction, what sort of ethos we were looking for in the film, like Aaron's mentioned, I was just working a lot with the director and, you know, seeing where she was coming from in this film's case. Bruise is more of an MMA, UFC type film as opposed to a boxing film. And it was really important for her to kind of keep sort of that less glitzy, sort of romantic idea of what fight films are and kind of go more gritty and like, she's really down and out, you know, basically, for lack of a better term, like her life's like a shit show. But, you know, she kind of like, she starts from the bottom and goes to the top, you know, and there's different environments where some of these events occur. And we also kind of approach those like case by case and just kind of feeling out what the best like approach was for each of those scenes. And kind of just took it from there. You know, it's almost like throwing spaghetti at a wall and saying what kind of works just like for what the film needs, you know?
5: So, what's the day to day of the discovery process like? Is it watching old film references? Is it sitting with the director? Is it putting sounds up against picture? What does it look like?
4: Well, for me, because I had never worked on a fight film before, I'll just. Two things I try to do is one, I try to deliberately not watch other fight films while I was working on this because I kind of wanted to, <laughs> in a way, not be like. Because I've seen a lot of them, you know, over my years, you know, so I have an idea of how the true narrative occur in these kind of films. But, you know, I was really excited to, like, almost have an open slate and see where I could take things in terms of, like, finding what works. Absolutely,
3: because you have to protect what you're bringing to it. So after you you kind of get in the direction and it becomes yours and you're going to know this and feel it when it comes to you, but it's yours. So you have to carry that.
4: Right, and in terms of these films, because, like, I feel like a lot of fight films have, you know, different fight sequences throughout the film. So there's also, like, a contour you kind of have to be mindful of. I feel like a lot of times the building blocks from A to B is, like, what is established early on. Or, you know, every film's different, but maybe it should culminate to something or devolve somewhere. You know, there should be a bit of a journey. Specifically in the Bruce case, there are, like, different environments where these scenes occur. So kind of it helped out narratively that those are already in place. Originally, we did have talks about how, quote-unquote, realistic to keep it. And I heard some feedback. You know, some enthusiasts of UFC MMA, I don't know what the right term is, but they feel like it hasn't been correctly represented before. Mm-hmm. So one thing I definitely heard from people is like, you know, it should be real, there should be like 10 seconds before the bell, there should be like a clapper, it should be wood, you know, things like that, you know, that we use as starting points. And then from there, then we could jump off into different directions if there's specific moments in sequences where like there's... You know, moments where I don't say Epiphanies, but places where you could like establish more and build towards the character, what each character brings to the table and where they can go, you know, from that moment on. Olivia, what's it like for you?
0: Well, my my approach to the fight scene was it was really just a fight, you know, it's a round of fight. So for someone who barely watched boxing, I had to read the script first, you know, trying to find what the purpose of the scene. And, you know, build an arc and, you know, where, where is the moment that the audience is fearing, fear for the character? And where's the moment that, you know, he triumphs? Why is this moment here? And what's the reason that this thing exists that lead to the next thing? So I usually build an energy arc, you know, and then find the highest moment and then build it up and protect the moment that is provoking emotions of fear and victory and, you know, just kind of yield spaces for different elements to come in like crowd. And yeah, for me, it's more about dynamic because, you know, boxing fight is punch, punch, punch. And I mean, I was (laughs) thinking, okay, for someone like me who watches film, who obviously don't care about boxing as, you know, I wouldn't watch boxing on a Saturday morning just to feel relaxed. So how do I attract people to the scene, to this film, through my work? So I always go through the storytelling point of view.
1: Olivia, you and in One Night in Miami, and in the case of The Fighter, too, I guess, you're recreating fights that really happened. And in the case of your movie, people may be very familiar with that fight in particular as a televised event. Did you have to look again at your work through that lens at some point?
0: Yes, I did a bunch of research uh, trying to find the real fight footage and see how Ali, you know, catches Clay perform and what is the big difference of style of him going against Henry or Sonny. So I found that he has a specific style, really unorthodox. So trying to create the sense of how different he is with all these really accomplished men in front of him uh, through sound design.
5: And Jay, we haven't heard much from you yet. So as a Foley artist, how do you integrate what you are performing versus what is being cut to picture with sound effects editorial?
6: Um, Well, in this case, we wanted to keep it. It's interesting to have Gene here because I don't know how it ended up after we let it go. (laughs) But when we approached it, the discussions we've had was to keep it fairly realistic so each fight, there were different scenes, as he said that she gave. She started pretty low, and started in this kind of uh, what would you call that fight in the basement, Gene? The um,
4: uh, basement brawl. <laughs> yeah, pretty much a brawl. It's
6: pretty down and dirty of this really big woman that she fought. It's pretty gruesome scene. So each scene, you know, called for its own intensity, and I would just try to deliver that as I needed to.
2: And how did you guys divide up? what was going to be Foley and what was going to be sound effects?
4: Well, I think in terms of, for the Foley, I think Jay and Matt, his editor, kind of went through and just, in one sense, followed a film with what's actually happening, and off camera, you know, kind of fill as needed. And then we also had discussions for the different starting points for, because UFC is a little bit different, because there's punches, kicks, grapples, throws, body falls, and uh, just grabbing. So there's like different layers of that, and... You know, so we discussed in terms of like, I guess we use words like slappy, woofy, just depending on the characters and what they're doing, you know. and It's sort of clear the way it's shot, like what's being done, you know, and that helped us out. And in terms of sound effects, we built around the Foley and also with the production sound. It also, which was really important, is the uh, utterances of the characters as they're fighting, you know, their sounds and putting all those albums together. But you know, a lot of ways, the Foley sort of the foundation, you know, we kind of built around that. And during the mix, we could kind of play with the different elements as needed. It's almost like playing puppeteer.
2: (laughs) So Jay, were you doing actual punches? I was.
6: Yep, I'm just recovering now, actually. uh...
2: Yeah, you,
5: don't, you can't see the bruises anymore. How are you approaching all the sync points in any given fight and, and even in the training sequences? In the training sequences, they actually move faster than in the fights in a lot of cases. And you have to be frame accurate on every single moment. So what's the approach?
6: Well, fortunately, well, Matt Hosh, who was the Foley editor, would make the uh, clips for it. So that was, it was broken up. I wouldn't do the whole scene. I would do segments of it and just perform it as best I could in sync. And then if I get to a point where, oh, that one needs to be harder or heavier, uh, we'll just go back and punch it in, per se. And that's the thing about Foley. You can really highlight the nuance of each hit or grab that would be hard to go through a sound effect library to get. So I could just give it whatever element it needed to fulfill that punch or grab that event.
4: Are you tired after all that? <laughs>
3: yeah. <laughs> it, it's interesting. This work is, our work, our field is so open source in how we can approach the storytelling with sound problem that I think that we look at these approaches to solutions in any number of ways. And like I look at the use of Foley in a different approach where I use it as a way of grounding everything and as a performance enhancement that is, covering action in the dynamic range that is below the threshold point. So everything that glues it down and it ties action to the physicality of things is what I use the Foley performances for. And then stuff like punches and body falls I don't use Foley for. But that's just a different approach. And there's there's so many ways to do this. I appreciate hearing that you're doing the hits. It's a totally different world approach than where I'd go. But it's really interesting. I, I love hearing it.
5: So, Aaron, where does your source material tend to come from on the punches?
3: Well, you know, going into it, I was thinking, oh, we're going to have huge sessions and all this stuff, and we're going to record a million punches and (laughs) come up with the ultimate or something. And, you know, I started in sound effects libraries when I was 15 and did that for years. So I think I've heard all the punches, and I know (laughs) I haven't, but when it came down to it, We had so little time. I think we had five weeks editorial before I started temp mixes and previews and then going into pre-dubs and final. So we cut the first temp, and you know how it is. You cover the story of each fight in an arc and build and and kind of create this language, and we cut it from any number of tracks that play together. And in that process, you're kind of developing the way the courses are going to be served up in this case, what I did is we went through the entire film and cut it that way, and I mixed it that way for the first temp. And as these are open source, um, you know, along the way, you change your plan. That first temp was pretty much right down the middle. I just took that center channel. So that was like a curated, first glance sound design pass, right? All these pieces playing together. And I took those hits, and they're all in an arc and expressive and in the right place as far as dynamically. And I use that as my food source now. And in a design pass, I created six different chains using that as a source and went from one extreme to another over six different versions and tweaked them in and laid down that six layer flavor patch, plus having the original source session or channels above that. And then from that, I went into the final with the source available under a fader as needed, but then I could tune it in any direction based on the material that I had generated off of that. So it became like, as one of my designers, uh, Mitch Asias, who did a ton of work on the crowds on that, uh, he does a lot of game work. So he said, you made a game engine, basically. And from that, I could make it small, I could make it sound like a glance, I could make it really compact and tight, or I could make it just a waffling, huge, bombastic elephant hit. And so if you look at the automation on that layer alone, it's just like this very complex ant trail of a mess, because I could then go in on like, oh, hit number three in this angle, I could do this and just swing it the other way, and I'd go in and using the pencil. I I use a pencil a lot in a mix. I'll hmm. just go in on, with the, all the automation up and I'll just like play along. So, and, and right after rolling past it, I'll just take the pencil and just do a little brush stroke on one dimension and it'll do what I need to do.
5: Are you mousing that or do you use a Wacom tablet or something?
3: No. That track ball is under my right hand and the faders are under my left hand.
5: <laughs> cool.
3: Yeah.
5: In any given fight scene, there's a lot more than just the punches going on. There's breaths. There's obviously crowd, which we'll talk about in a second. You know, one thing I noticed in these films is I didn't hear a lot of really pronounced footfalls. And feet are very interesting in boxing because a boxing ring is like a plywood thing. But they can also be a little bit distracting. So how did you approach the non-impact parts of the fights? Olivia, I'll start with you.
0: My fight has a lot of them just jumping and bouncing about and trying to dodge each other. I find to keep the energy up, what I use the most is the wishes of their Mm -hmm. swings, and it it keeps the energy up, it keeps the fight active, and it also kind of amplifies the speed, you know, the alacrity of Cassius Clay constantly in the mode of fighting. And in terms of the feet you just mentioned, which is interesting because we have fantastic Foley team, Dan O'Connell and his team, they created a beautiful layer of feet because uh, Regina King shot the two fights in a really intimate way. We have, I think it was a Steadicam. It was kind of circling around fighters and we have a lot of extreme close-ups. So Dan created this beautiful layer of almost, it feels like subharmonic paths of the feet. And it just kind of, you feel the threat. You feel the sense of danger. It doesn't compete with the reality that's above the feet. So that movement, the wishes, the feet, and then you know, the rope that have this kind of movement with the metal and then the creek in the ring you keep it active. And then you know once in a while we yell the space for the crowd to be upset, to be happy. So we keep a food dynamic. There's a lot of going on outside what this two persons doing.
5: So to throw a little confession out here, As a sound designer, I mean, not really as a sound designer, but I've actually laced up the gloves and gotten the ring and gotten punched in the face by somebody before. It's crazy. (laughs) The thing I noticed when I was actually in there is that it was really, really loud. And the way that it was loud was when we were stomping around in the boxing ring, because the way that a boxing ring is built is it's plywood on top of like a metal frame with canvas on top of that. And the sounds that were actually happening, like, yes, we were impacting, like when we were landing punches and stuff like that, but our feet were like four times as loud as our hands were. You know, we're we're just like barely boxing out there. We weren't hitting with any professional force or anything like that. But it was striking to me like going back and watching the video of myself and then replaying it in my head, like my own personal experience, how much it was like startling to me how loud it was like just to approach somebody with my feet and how not loud it was. Once you actually start throwing your brain like does the thing that happens in cinema where like everything else goes away. And there's all these moments in there where crowd goes away and everything goes away except for your own breath and that like actually, truly, really does happen. Except for one like you just kind of stop landing blows and you're just like and you're just banging around in there with your feet and it's like the craziest thing when you're in there doing it for real. And I guess that's the striking thing about it to me, like the reality of it versus the cinematic interpretation of the thing. Every single fight has these <laughs> moments where everything goes away and you're doing slow-mo stuff and all of this. How are you approaching that? Like, how are you collaborating with your team on that? What's the execution of those hyper-real moments like?
2: Gene, do you want to take that?
4: Uh, Sure. In the film I work on, in particular, there are a few moments throughout the film where those events occur, like more slow-mo or flashbacks or memories. And for us, it was kind of a case-by-case basis, I think, at some points, it would be like, you know, in terms of hyperrealism, sometimes that can mean a couple of different things. But I feel like things are getting too intense for the person, you know, the subject who is experiencing something like that. We would talk it through and just shoot some ideas to each other about how to approach it. And then for me, the way things ended up is certain scenes will be like expressionistic, just almost nonlinear, like noise. It seems like, you know, that kind of emerges or dissolves from something. And there's other moments where it just goes to silence. And then... Maybe the music would be the one sort of taking the lead there, you know, and then slowly bring sounds back in that was occurring before, you know. So it's almost like time stoppage, things like that that were occurring. It was fun to play with. And I'm going off what they were saying a little bit earlier in terms of the hyperrealism and what actually happens. Like I found during the mix there was a lot of clutter just from all the sound editorial. It's like too many footsteps or too many sweeteners or punches. You know, a lot of it was kind of stripping away at that point. And what I ended up doing is I would have these separate groups of like so the whooshes or the swings, and just have those on a separate group VCA, and you know, and then almost like a pencil tool, or like kind of just engage in and out to push things or pull things out, and that's the way we kind of got the weeds, got lost, and then try to like clean stuff up and get to a, a nice cohesive product in the end. And you know, with Jay and Matt, we went back a couple of times. I think we ended up using did we use some pipe hits on meat or something, just for like some extra month? For a couple bigger moments? Uh, there
6: were a couple things like that, yeah, that uh, we pulled out, yeah.
4: Yeah, so I did have some groups where it was almost called a group, like Hyper Real A, Hyper Real B or something, you know, and then kind of bring them in and out as needed. So it also wouldn't be too repetitive or loopy sounding, you know, because there's a lot of footsteps, a lot of punches, a lot of moves, you know, and the crowds and commentators and all kinds of stuff going on, you know.
1: Does anybody have a take on what's the difference between cutting effects for a fight where your protagonist is winning? And how is that sound different from when your protagonist is getting creamed? Did you have kind of a rule of thumb about the different types of hits or the different combinations of sounds that were telling that aspect of the story? Aaron, what's your take on that? I think that
3: if you do a lot of sound effects cutting and then especially if you go into a fight situation, you become super aware of contrasting elements, especially when you start looking at crowds. It's all relativity. And you know you run out of headroom and road fast if you don't keep track of that. And I would say the winning or losing thing, you're playing off the crowd because you're signaling that call and response. I mean, that's the real-time facet that the spectator feeds off of. That's the dashboard. The hits, as they progress, you know, you're always kind of tuning so that you become super aware of saminess you go, oh, no, 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 I, that one's killing me. You know That just sounds like a recycle or something. Beyond you know all the layers of the source material and the sweetener tracks that make this incredible roadmap of events one after another, after that, you're then going, oh, this one hit, I can't, I have to, you know, I'm looking to replace this one hit. And you're looking at the beginning of your movie, the end of your movie, and you finally you find the one or it's something that you've constructed just for that, and you're curating that one spot to get it just right. And this cadence of stuff, which is one color, then another color, another color of hit, that's changing up against the background of this crowd that is doing this other thing, and the announcers talking all through the whole thing, you're going to feel a ramp or this build that is going to make one person win or get pummeled and killed. So it's, you're making a song, you know? These are notes that stack up and make a song. And, you know, if you've been watching this thing from the start as a viewer, one part of you says, oh, yeah, I'm looking at what's right in front of me. Another part of you has been fed everything up to that point. And you're like a gumball machine that's just full of a thousand hits in your head. So it all adds up. And each one is assigned differently depending on what the dashboard is telling you. I don't know. I don't think there's a formula, but I think that if it's done right, you've been instructed.
4: Just to jump onto, I feel like a lot of that it's like a combination of also the editorial work and the sound editorial work. You know, just using the picture edits also. I mean, it's always a collaborative effort, but especially there, you know, just the way way cutting is done here in the fights. You know, just a different style. You know, like a kitchen sink film. You know, and. And in terms of like what you're asking about, good versus bad, almost for me, it's like every little moment is almost like a little story. So it will be like someone approaching the other person to like throw a punch. Maybe there'll be the one footstep approach. Maybe that'll be come up a bit. And then almost like arcs like continually happen. And then the one thing I was mentioning earlier about the clutter is that, yeah, when you have, you want to get to a peak to have these dynamics. And there's too much going on and there's no more headroom left. And it's just like, oh, boy. And, you know, it's found in stripping away. But having all the elements there helps out a lot also because, you know, in the back of your mind, it's worked previous scenes, you know, or similar situation. Maybe, yeah, maybe there's that one hit that we need to bring back here, things like that.
3: Yeah, you'll find this place, I think, in every fight movie where you're carrying it along and you have all of the beautiful supporting Foley and the dancing and it's just right. And then all of a sudden— Everything is just wiped out, and the hit just goes in silence. Kablam! And that moment of clearing out is next level. It's, you know, you're on the top floor there. You've made all that room, and it's all
1: 11s. Yeah, or it's not that punch. Yeah, like Olivia, in your film, it sort of plays out differently story-wise, right?
0: Um, Yes. Ali has this kind of uh, signature continuous punch, like bam, 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 bam. And definitely, it was a great opportunity to create a sonic crescendo.
4: On bang,
6: bang, in 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 in
0: in there is a build-up in terms of pitch and rhythm and energy. so. To answer your question, Teresa, this film I'm working on does give me, the picture Give me a lot of opportunity to create this kind of formula that Aaron and Jim probably don't really have a lot. Liberty and space in Creed and Bruce. But for me, it's really, you can tell that when he does throw that kind of punches, he's going to get there. So, you know, there's definitely a build for One Night in a Miami fight, that the biggest punch. The last punch, the hero punch, is the top of the crescendo. And then when he is, you know, being thrown down in the ring, on the rope, that was usually not as strong. And, you know, it's pretty obvious rule that even the audience can tell, okay, he's not going to make it. So there is this energy you have to kind of just let it go. You know, don't build every punch that's bigger than the previous because then you're going to get that fatigue. You're not going to make that hero moment.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, in case anybody doesn't know the story, Ali wins. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. He was the greatest and he was going to win.
4: Is that the Phantom Punch fight where he actually didn't get punched? The Sonny Liston fight? Wasn't there two? I was kind of one on That's on a the t- first tangent. one.
0: That's the one that, you know, right before he changed his name to yeah. Ali.
4: Yeah. That's the Phantom Punch one, right? Where he, uh, I guess he wasn't punched. You know what the funny thing is though? He did catch him. He caught him like right on the tip of the chin. He did hit him? Okay. I'm not an expert. I just remember reading about the phantom punch.
0: The myth. You know more than me. (laughs) But I I do find it interesting that because the picture of the film I'm working on gave me a lot of close-up during these hero moments. So I was able to, in a really natural way, to use sterile punches instead of mono ones to open up the energy. Because traditionally, if there's a white shot and you have this martial art happening with a full body movement, it's kind of weird that every punch is stereo, you know. You feel like this is kind of like what TM and Teresa and Renee said, is a little bit too impressionistic. But the picture, I think it's everything, you just have to be loyal to the picture, that you embrace the moment it gives you. And if the picture presents you a great emotional and impressionistic opportunity, I would take it and you know, reach higher.
5: So when you're using stereo impacts, are you also putting center channel? Are you also doing LFE? Like how big is it? Is it design feeling or is it still just feeling? Yeah, I, I, I use full feeling. spectrum
0: when they're just the face being punched and blood splat all over the screen.
6: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, There is center speaker for the realistic element like skin, gloss, the texture. And then you have the LFE and the stereo to give you the feeling of, you know, being punched in the gut. You feel the pain. You feel the speed, the whooshes. But definitely I don't overuse it as in you know, a way that, okay, if this is big and next one is bigger, when you leave the scene, and you're not going to remember the biggest punch you received. That was yeah. his biggest defeat. So you protect the big moment and go, go for the smaller one right after it.
5: That's almost a similar technique to like what people do with weapon fire and rifles and that kind of thing. Aaron, did you do any of that type of stuff in Creed?
3: Well, basically the spectator POVs of the fights were all treated the same as the Foley in that it's meant to stick to what's going on screen. So we keep that a mono and it'll dance around and move across the screen depending on the framing. And then when we get in the ring And we're first person, then it goes wider and wider and wider, and then ultimately into the room to really cross into this new immersive dimension. So, yeah, we'd go as far as we could when that opportunity arose. Yeah. It is like a gun battle because you kind of want to keep it, it's sort of your perspective headroom. You know, you want to have everything sitting in the middle or down in that safe zone where you're dealing with single point events so that when you are right on the muzzle or something, then you can. Go wide. Yeah.
4: Look, and we're underway. Oh, and Drago comes out swinging with two hooks that Creed avoids, and a big right hand right
6: out of the surprise as Creed shakes that punch off. Ooh, and a right hand. Drago is pressing hard, but Creed is not backing off.
4: Keep moving, keep moving. Creed working a little bit closer to Drago tonight. (laughs) That is a. Combination by
5: and then you have to deal with dynamics too, like punches are like guns, it's a sharp little transient, and then it kind of goes away, and so a lot of the interest is the uh, stuff that's wrapped around it. So, how did you all approach that?
2: Gene, do you want to start that?
4: Well, it's funny because in terms of the punches, like you're mentioning, I think, like in a traditional film, Boxing Fight, you know, we're just like segments of each round, you know, it's almost like punches, like the baseline punches almost seems like just breathing or footsteps it's just kind of a repetitive movement that occurs over and over you know so eventually there's going to be a bass line I think just a human condition is you'll start getting accustomed to the sounds and like it'll be in an environment where okay so this is like the bass you know if you keep hearing the exact same sound for 10 minutes it's not going to really sound like much anymore because you've gotten used to it it's almost like people in New York City who get used to the subway sounds next to their apartments you know it kind of becomes <laughs> just part of the palette you know it's cool to be able to use that to your advantage too because then Nuances and changes or even fast changes can like really shift the perception of the audience member and almost like going off in terms of perspectives, like if it's outside the ring or inside the ring, in terms of the MMA, it's like the octagon. So it's actually fencing. It is almost like a gladiator match, you know, I guess boxing is like that too. And I guess it continues on a theme I had earlier live with just really making sure everything is in place where it's really about the dynamics to me and builds and ebbs and flows that really create like... I think what Aaron mentioned before, like a composition, it's like, a, you know, it's like a long composition, you know, and you can't have everything static the whole time. So for me, it was kind of discovering like a baseline, basic sound and building from that, you know, and it let us like really just go in different directions that way, which was pretty interesting.
1: Jay, do you have a take on that in terms of building that concept into Foley? I just saw you nod when he was talking about building variation into your track.
6: Sure. I mean, that's kind of constantly trying to get variation in everything, footsteps and touching and hits. And yeah, after a while, when I'm using different parts of my body and different parts of gloves and I can get a lot of variety, but obviously there's going to be some that sound the same. But I guess the short answer is yes, we're always trying to get a variety of sounds.
1: You're sort of saying like in Foley, that just kind of happens because you're performing it in Foley, that variation happens naturally. Because you're doing each move differently.
6: Well, I'm always attempting to make it happen, conscious of it, anyway.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: What really helped for me was like tying in production of sound of the efforts and also like ADR passes of the efforts. You know, those slight nuances and changes in the attack of those grunts and efforts. You know, it also played a part like with those little scene builds and like triumphant moments and moments of. I don't know, impending doom or something that's bad about to happen. And a lot of that also is helped by the actors themselves, you know, with their utterances, because you know, because a lot of times it happens right before a punch, or right after a punch, or during a punch. You know, so just slight, even just milliseconds, like you know, a little bit makes a huge difference. I found in terms of the dynamic palette of a fight scene.
5: Yeah, and fighters are supposed to, I guess, clench their diaphragm when they throw a punch anyway, so it makes that it makes that kind of sound. That's how fighters are trained in the first place. So, like, I imagine a lot of that coming from the set ended up being hyper-important to the cut. But, Jay, we'd be remiss if we didn't ask you what kind of props you were breaking out outside of normal MMA gloves to, to do the thing.
6: Well, uh, some pieces of leather, <laughs> some shoes, actually leather shoes. Let's have a punching bag that I was using. That usually was just for the prop itself as a... Them hitting a punching bag. Mm-hmm. One song I did, I don't know if you ever used this, Gene, or not, but there's a point where it's kind of a surreal moment where reigning champion, she comes into the ring, and you wanted something uh, kind of surreal. And, and so I worked on this thing. I don't know if you ever used it, but I used a bass drum. And did like a sweetener for her footsteps. I don't know if you ever used that, but that was. Kind oh yeah, of we fast. yeah we did use that. <laughs> oh, you did. I
4: actually had a weird idea after that. I was thinking, what if we use drummer placer and like sync up all these different sounds every punch? I didn't have enough time to do that, but <laughs> we did use that. <laughs> ah, oh good.
6: Yeah, I had fun with that. Stuck a you know the mic inside the drum and uh, just did a little tap. But good, cool. Mm-hmm. And how were you landing
5: on like body versus face? Like, what kind of props were you using on as far as what you were impacting?
6: Most of the time when I was hitting a face, it was with a fist into my, into my wrist or my hand. Mm-hmm. When it's a body punch, I'll use my body, like more in here or stomach. I can get a real deep, even though I'm skinny, I got a, a nice deep uh, sound when I hit myself.
4: Nice little resonant cavity there. <laughs> yeah,
6: yeah, there you go. So, um, yeah, just trying, you know, again, for variety, just trying different places all, all over my body. Yeah. Yeah. So you ended up beating yourself up. (laughs) Kind of. Yeah. The body falls. (laughs) Sounds rough. (laughs) This wasn't too bad because there was a ring to fall on. But uh, when you're doing body falls on cement, that gets a little sore. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
2: It's interesting when, as a sound effects editor myself, when I'm working on something and uh, the music is being written independently and I don't have any kind of score, It's a kind of a thing that's a glue that can come in and pull everything together when you get that score. For boxing films, I feel like the crowd noise can do the similar thing. Pull all these independent hits and shuffles on the ground. And then all of a sudden you get the crowd noise and everything is super real all of a sudden. How did uh, everybody go about getting those crowd sounds and getting those crowd reactions? Uh, Let's start with Olivia this time.
0: Uh, We have a fabulous vocal team, Brian Parker is the one that designed our crowd. What I found is very wonderful he did is our crowd is full on crowd that never stop vocalizing till the end of the fight. So of course we have a big surround bed that constantly keep them going. But then what Brian did is he capped center speaker and almost left and right for me so that the fight is not going to be, we're, we're not competing each other, but we complement each other in terms of channels. And he did a really delicate, he maticulated the crowd response to the plot. Basically just, you know, you can tell whose crowd this belong to. Does it belong to, you know, the British or the American or Sunny or Ali? So it's, I think from both effects and group side, you just have to be mindful that which is their main frequency, you know, for human vocal and also music. Luckily we had piano, which is not like cello, which is kind of really different than human vocal. So when he designed it, he had... My sound in mind that, okay, how I'm gonna design the crowd that will stay in the mix. You know, we're not gonna compete with each other. When I designed it, I was mindful that, okay, is this punch too much sounded like, you know, one can 2K that kind of human reaction. So we both had designing, you know, of each other's element in mind, both in terms of audio spatial relationship and frequency. So that's how we work those two things together. And you know, we have wonderful mixer and a kind of balance and tight sheet everything in. So it was a pretty well sourced process.
3: In uh, Creed 2, we had one of the plans that we were sticking to was that each fight was different. So they each had completely different fight properties and especially crowd properties and the way that we were presenting them. So that there's a different on one fight you're watching the terror of this guy just slaying people and then another fight it's like an easy fight for our hero and it's kind of like everything just kind of flies by like nothing's going on it's just his fight and it's just like boom 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 it's over and then there's a fight that is way more immersive and with like more shout outs and it's aggressive and he gets wiped with that one and then there's the final fight so all of these are different and have different Dynamics. So there's a very different arc within them of what the events are that the crowd is following. So they all have totally different needs, and they're very each reaction. If you've ever cut crowds from crowds, you know, it's really hard to get reactions and to kind of like build these little apexes and events that cover right. So that's probably the hardest part of this thing.
5: Yeah. Well, and Creed Two also had, like, wildly different crowd sizes, right? Because Drago was fighting in these, like, little boxing clubs that only had a couple hundred people all the way up into this massive Russian arena.
3: Yes, yes. So we scoured every possibility for, like, where to build stuff and where it was coming from. And we were getting – we had uh, some stuff that came from – gosh, I want to say it came from ESPN or something. And there was a relationship with the production for that. And so we got some of that. We got, you know, we're using pieces from soccer matches or something, you know, just a different, we're looking for like really unusual little things that would just fill a spot that would have the right kind of life for an event. And then, you know, once you go into Atmos, you got to be able to kind of have stuff everywhere. So.
5: Yeah. Gene, how'd you approach it?
4: Oh, I found, personally, I found the crowds probably the most time consuming part of the editing process yeah, I mean you just like really i was just coming into it, I was sort of envisioning like having we talked about having like a more rowdyish crowd than what's sort of typical just given the uh, given it being UFC MMA. Just looking for like yeah, the shout outs and like reactions for a move. If the table's a turn, the opponent like takes the advantage and what does the crowd say, every little bit of it tells a story of how the fight's going. Unfortunately for me, like COVID lockdown had just hit as we were starting. And I had, like, all these ideas. I was going to go to training gyms, record them, uh, talk to people at UFC, maybe go in and record some matches and things like that. None of that ever happened. Mm-hmm. So a lot of that was sort of like putting on APB to everyone I knew and trying to get coupled together as much source materials to, like, kind of go through and sort of come up with a palette. And, you know, it was pretty challenging. And it was mentioned before, oftentimes crowds can become overwhelming if it's just, if you're not paying attention to, like, the way things are moving, you know. But... I also found it in a lot of ways very much, uh, not enthralling, but like it also felt good. I'm like, oh my God, this works. Like this little reaction, this shout out from here or there. And then we had uh, this person, Dan, the loop group coordinator, who also brought in his team. And that was also a little bit tricky given COVID recording on the loop group, but it worked out. So we were able to have individual shout outs and things too. So that was cool.
3: With the really big crowds, you have to be very careful because it eventually turns into like a 10K sandblaster. So, again, this idea of relativity and being able to, to come back down so you can go back up. And, you know, uh, a few years ago I did this uh, recent version of Ben-Hur with the crowds and the chariot race. And, and, you know, that's just constantly going the whole time. So I learned some lessons with that on, the, like, how to, like, undo that or reel it back and bring some of that and figure out some ways of artificially getting this sense of space and activity without actually – creating this rush constantly, because that kills you. Yeah. Nobody really wants that. You think you want that for the energy, that kind of energy is...
0: Like noise. Yeah.
4: Yeah, painful.
5: (laughs) (laughs) One little secret weapon that I've had forever is I do a ton, a ton of hockey crowds, because in hockey they can't play the PA during play per NHL rules. And, you know, anyone takes a really nice check. You get all these big awesome just like, oh, you get these big reacts that I can use in just all these different contexts. So hockey crowds are my secret weapon on all these different things. That's a hot (laughs) tip. Yeah, that's a good
2: one. So a few years ago, our co-host here, Teresa, was uh, the sound supervisor and mixer on a documentary about Olympic boxing. And she hired me to go to a gym locally and do a bunch of sound effects recording for it. And what I found during those records was: A, the gym wasn't an ideal place because it was a big cement box, and all you got was just huge reverb and echo. But what we did get recorded that was mind-blowing for me, because I'm not a regular person involved in boxing, was we recorded the boxers' shadow boxing while practicing their breath. And that was an amazing sound. <laughs> And it made me realize just how much the breathing and the grunts of all the actors adds to everything, as well as we mentioned the crowd before. So how much of that is everyone mixing in and uh, doing ADR for? Can we just do a little bit of talking about the actual vocalizations of the people in the ring? What about you, Aaron? If I recall, when those actors came in, we
3: made them do the fights, a version of that. I mean, it's not the same thing, but you got to get that. And uh, of course, I think for the first temp, that was me going, (laughs) 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 I don't think that made it in the movie. It's
1: not your secret sauce. (laughs) Gene?
4: Yeah, I did a similar thing. We had uh, Hallie and the other fighters, like they'll just do a pass in the studio of the fights, you know, and then we just kind of went through and either used the production sound or the ADR, depending on, you know, what we felt was best. That's what we ended up doing for that. So,
5: Olivia, what do you think?
0: Production sound of, I think, the five vocal is, is really hard to amplify. I don't know if Gene, how's the stunt coordination happening in Bruce? Mine was fully stunt coordinate. You know, there, there's no real punch. You know, there's no real blood. So it was for us, how I usually approach it, you know, we use it as a sync point. But then almost for all the, the intimacy you want to create for fight scene, like Gene and Aaron said, you have to re-record it, you know, in an 80 hour group session and then you put it in. For me as a effects editor, when there is obviously in the production track, there is vocal and when you see that they are being they're vocalizing when they perform, you leave a little bit of space after right after the punch or a little bit before and you definitely keep the communication open with the group editor that you know like do our work do our cut work together you know am I on top of the vocal the effort or how should we move each other stuff so that everything play together
1: I love to hear that like the editors thinking about what am I not hearing in the track here, but that I need to keep in mind is going to be there or should be there, so I should be leaving room for it. Like, I love hearing that as a mixer, like that people are thinking about what they're not hearing, yeah.
3: On a similar note, the idea of making that pocket for the breath or the reaction relative to the transient of the hit event, you know, it's all one sound, right? The feet, the hit, the body fall, the reaction. So we have to figure out, you know, what that, the way they interleave is. And when you look at that hit, that hit may not be perfectly aligned to get the most out of it. You may be doing like this little stagger, like on a, to bring that life into it. To, so that within that one event, it's telling a story. It's Instead of going, going, it's going, you know, and I think a lot of people get overzealous on tightening The waveforms up to be one event you know sometimes that's right but take advantage of the ability of owning the footprint over time just like putting the vocal reaction right in the right place you know with two frames between them or whatever or cutting two frames between gunshots or whatever so that there's a hole and there's timing and and there's an arc to that single event
0: well said.
5: Are you making judgment calls with regards to, like, not putting sounds on specific punches once the action gets up to a certain rate of speed? Sometimes
3: you, um, you drop stuff out. We really don't hear three things happening at one time, and it's better if it's one thing. And for the same reason that eight people on screen is covered by four people talking or five people talking, if that, you want the brain on the story not overwhelmed, I
6: think.
4: Yeah. No, I agree with that 100%. Cool. Yeah, you know, the footsteps,
6: if there's any more than like three people walking, it starts to become a.
4: Yeah, like stampede. <laughs> yeah. Just start deleting. Yeah.
6: Take that out.
5: So I guess we could just wrap by asking everyone here if there are any specific things you learned while we're working on the films that we're talking about here, like with regards to workflows or mixing or collaboration or anything like that, that you would take into the next fight film.
3: Double the mix schedule. <laughs>
5: Yeah, <laughs> we'll spell that out. Double
3: the budget, double the mix schedule <laughs> for everybody. That'll solve a lot of problems <laughs>
6: for everybody. Yeah, could use that.
0: What's your take on that, Olivia? Working on one night in Miami is really your different department. You affect department, Foley, and dialogue, and also music. You gotta keep the conversation go and keep communication on what is the music like, what kind of, you know, what's the main instrument feature, what's the mood, you know, is that more like realistic, is that like drum, is that orchestra, or is it a piano solo, so that really impact how the style, the effects do, and also, I think it's really important to uh, keep communication open with dialogue department, and, you know, urban ADR department, because it's human fight, and they make sound, and Nothing hurt more when a person screams, you know, you can get so much of such a big punch, but it doesn't sound as hurt when he uh, screams. So I would say for effects editor, always keep in mind that vocal is very important and don't underestimate its power building a good action sequence.
4: Gene? It's interesting because, you know, boxing or fighting is like a, it's a conversation, it's two people, you know, so there's a question and answer. So if the person who's taking initiative and throwing a punch, there's always the reaction, like Olivia's saying, how the other person reacts, you know, and that was the other end of sort of the one little sequence of sounds of each sequence of the punch, the hit, reaction, you know, the fall. It takes both sides, I feel like that helped out a lot, you know, having all the actors be really game to redo those things.
6: One thing I know that uh, I always feel like I can do something better or, gosh, I wish I had a little more time or, you know, it's never really ever perfect. You got to just let it go. But in this case, we get to go back into bruised because we're going to revisit that in a little while. Right, Gene? Yeah. So I'll yeah. we'll have an opportunity to, at least I will, and everyone will have an opportunity. I know there's a couple of things I'd like to have another go at. And so I'm looking forward to that. It's not often get that opportunity to... Yeah, this,
4: yeah, it's not often how, because it was presented at TIFF as a work-in-progress screening, so it wasn't finished. So I guess in my experience, it's rare we get some time, like months, you know, yeah. in between uh, <laughs> the schedules of the same film. Right. That's great.
1: Yeah, and I'm psyched that that film got picked up the way it did. So looking forward to that coming out on streaming services when it does.
3: Hey, Jay, I realize we work together. We both did mid-90s. Oh, wow right that was great i love that movie yeah, i love that i loved to work on it so oh thanks uh it's one of my favorite
6: films that was a really fun movie yeah yeah
2: cool well thank you very much everybody for joining us today this is a really fun talk and uh i think that our listeners are going to really enjoy this because boxing is uh or mma boxing it's one of those genres that uh everybody hopes they get to work on one day and now when our listeners do get that chance, they're going to have some thoughts to think about thanks to your expertise. So thank you very much.
5: Thank you. Thanks for having me. It. It's fun. Awesome. Thanks, everybody.
1: Great. Thanks so much. Tone Benders is produced by Timothy Muirhead, Renee Coronado, and Teresa Morrow. Theme music is by Mark Strait. Send your
4: emails to info at Follow us on Twitter via at the Tonebenders and join Tonebenders Podcast on Facebook. Support this podcast. You can use our links when you shop at Amazon or B&H, or leave us a tip. Just go to tonebenderspodcast.com and click the support button.
2: Thanks for listening.
5: Before we wrap this episode, I have to give a huge shout out to sound designer Luke Smiles, who did heroic work with the edit on this episode. Editing roundtables is always a challenge because you have to keep multiple people in sync and luke did an amazing job and he did it quickly so go check out luke smiles at luke smiles on
2: twitter and uh thanks again man are you looking for more audio related podcasts to listen to tonebenders is part of the audio podcast alliance featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound Be sure to hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.